You unlock this door with a key of imagination. Beyond it is another podcast, a podcast of sound, a podcast of sass, and a podcast of mind. You're moving into a land of both sarcasm and substance, things and ideas. This week on Geeks with Kids, we've crossed over into the Twilight Zone. <laughs> that was really good. I like that, man. Thanks. Yeah, you know, like I said, I'm bugging my boss all day with that, so my co-workers are going to kick it at that because they, uh, they appreciate that nonsense. Uh, <laughs> hello, everyone. Welcome to Geeks with Kids, your bi-weekly geeky podcast from a parenting point of view. I am your host, uh, Matt Moore, and with me we have Mr. Eric. Hello. And we have Mr. Steve. Hi. And the intrepid Mr. Hawk. Greetings. <laughs> so I love it. I dig it. I dig it. Uh, so this week, friends, uh, if you had not figured out from my uh, my very very campy intro, we are going to be talking about the Twilight Zone, uh, which just recently uh, received its first few episodes of the remake by the uh, the ever ever excellent Mr. Jordan Peele. Um, and it's a thing that, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of it as we've established. I'm kind of the, the horror supernatural creepy, creepy vibe guy. Uh, so I'm like, I'm going to take over this podcast and talk about the things that I like because why not? Mm-hmm. But um, as a fan of, uh, of hard sci-fi, I'm pretty sure me and Steve would, you know, really enjoy the Twilight Zone hosting. Well, other than the hosting part. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Basically, I drew the short straw, so I'm hosting it this week. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, The Twilight Zone, Rod Serling's television masterpiece, uh, originally ran from 1959 to 1964. uh, Rod Serling himself was the producer, as well as he actually wrote about two-thirds of the total content of the show and was, of course, the the narrator that everyone uh, everyone can recognize his voice in a room. You hear that intro and you know exactly what you're about to get yourself into. Uh, so yeah, gentlemen, we thought we'd open this up. I'm sure we're all very familiar with uh, Twilight Zone as uh, a sort of a cultural uh, icon, a staple of television. I think everyone can agree they've, if not seen it, at least heard of it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, anyone have any particular thoughts on the show? Remember, fond memories of childhood that they have watched it? Going to open uh, the floor up on this one? For me, it was always uh, when I, I used to come home during grade school and that I used to come home for lunch and that. And uh, yeah, uh, they'd always have at least two in that running from about 12 and that till uh, whenever yeah. and that and have to go home and that. And uh, I was always glued to it and that. I mean, oh, yeah. for a black and white series and that, it, just, it always held my attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely, Mr. Yeah. Steve. I um I remember it was one of the few shows that my parents uh and I I guess we we bonded over because uh, both my parents um they're not like huge movie fans but they were able to express like you know like how spooky or like how mind blowing uh, the Twilight Zone was uh, for them um and so uh it was a really nice thing when the revival happened in the eighties that we could all watch the new show together. But, but yeah, it was just something that I was always like, you know, uh, really interested in because of the fact that my parents had enjoyed the original show so much. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Eric, any, any fond twilight zone memories? You know what? I don't remember the first time I saw the twilight zone. I just remember it always being there and being sort of in love with it. Mm -hmm. And being one of those people that are like, you have to see this. 
how do you not understand these Simpsons references if you've <laughs> oh, not seen these episodes? Yeah. Um, and you know, and Simpsons was such a big thing yeah. when we were growing up. It's sort of when someone was like, "Oh yeah, that was on the Twilight Zone." I'm like, "Which episode?" And then I'll pick it yeah. out. And, uh, it, was find, it was harder to find yeah. things back then, but you know, Twilight Zone seemed to always be on TV. Oh yeah, and mm-hmm. no, I think uh, limits, which was yeah, awesome. absolutely. Yeah, no, I think uh, Matt Groening especially is you know a very, very, very obvious uh, fan of. <laughs> Of Serling's work because I mean he he make references of it in The Simpsons and Futurama. Yeah. He even referenced uh, Night Gallery, which was a completely separate show that Rod Serling had done in the '80s. That I think, aside from me, very few people have actually watched mm-hmm. a lot of that show. Other than oh, the, I've seen the, it. The, yeah, uh, yeah, I love it. Well, I was gonna say other than like the pilot movie that was always getting shown late night on TV, which was you know awesome. Like the show itself, you know, didn't have a, a huge fan following at the time because it was not really the Twilight Zone, but it was kind of. It always held that same air in that to it, and that uh, especially oh, yeah. the, the pilot episode you were talking about, the one yeah. Roddy McDowell did the first. Uh, yes, yes, yeah. It's like yeah. The, that one episode that I think everyone has stumbled across on late night TV of Roddy McDowell in the painting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, very Dorian Gray that one. Um, oh yeah. The the yeah. the thing I think I really enjoyed about the Twilight Zone is that a lot of the writers that I grew up reading um, actually wrote episodes on. Um, mm-hmm. Twilight Zone. So people like um, Ray Bradbury or yeah, right, or Richard Har- Matheson, Harlan Ellison, mm-hmm. Harlan Ellison, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, apparently, oh, yeah. George R. R. Martin wrote something for the eighties. I don't know, or was it? Yeah, he did two thousand one. He did the eighties. Yeah, yeah. 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 Back yeah. when he was still an up and coming young writer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wes Craven actually directed many episodes of the eighties series too. Yeah. Oh, nice. oh yeah. Uh, and yeah, like for me, like my, my first contact with the Twilight Zone, I mean, aside from knowing that it was a show that existed, was actually the, uh, the movie that came out in 83, <laughs> um, which again, a lot of people are probably familiar with knowing that that exists. It was, you know, 1983 produced by John Landis and Steven Spielberg with a, a, a very unique array of directors. I think John Landis directed uh, an episode, Spielberg directed one, Joe Dante directed one. And yeah. like I was telling the guys earlier that I didn't even realize uh, George Miller directed an episode. He actually directed, a, directed the, film, one. <laughs> the, the film remake of one of my favorite episodes, which we're going to touch upon a little later on in this one. Uh, which again, I didn't even know it was George Miller till I saw it. Till I was I doing the research, I was right like, now. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, and as soon as I saw that, I'm like, okay, yeah, that 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 aesthetic makes sense. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But I was like, it yeah, really visually, this makes a whole lot more sense now. Um, so I guess we get to the next bit, which is you know the the part that I kind of like labels the why are we talking about this? <laughs> um, you know, because you know we're a geeky podcast, and you know Twilight Zone is not uh, a particularly uh, pronounced fandom but uh i mean people love the show but it's not there's not like a hardcore fandom for the twilight zone it's one of the things that people love it and can agree that they love it but there's not like a, then a rabid following <laughs> there's, you don't see a lot of people wearing you know you know the, the suit and smoking the chesterfield cigarette because they that's the be. show yeah it should be Aside from me, but I don't really count because I got a, an that's epic lumberjack dress. Maybe. That's just me. <laughs> There's a lot of potential for cosplay. I'm yeah. thinking. I'm thinking like you know people mm-hmm. in hospital dress and that wearing pig pig faces, <laughs> pig faces. Yeah. Or, the, or the later remake versions, which are yeah terrifying. Terrifying. Yeah, as I've been rewatching the show in preparation for this episode, I've been going, yeah, there's a lot of cosplay, like really subtle mm-hmm. stuff, like especially from like the the black and white era, because they were oh yeah a lot of sci-fi there, and and just some of like the the dystopian sort of 
uniforms, you know, very yeah. easy to do, you know, and, and Real like simple stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Someone should just get like Coke bottle, like the bottoms of Coke bottles, make glasses <laughs> and then carry around books. Exactly. Yeah. It's an easy one. I finally had time. It's not fair. <laughs> I finally had time. Oh, that's just not fair. <laughs> and I realized that my Burgess Meredith sounds like Jimmy Stewart, but that's okay. Cause that's not what I do. Um, but yeah, going back to to the the why we decided to cover this, at least what I kind of brought it up, is that I've always found uh, Rod Sterling was very, very big on uh, having a moral to the stories that he was telling. They weren't just horror for the sake of horror or thrills for the sake of thrills. There was a, a reason he was telling the story, and he wanted to make sure that there's like a very clear point A, point B. Here's the story. This is what you can take away from it. And that a lot of that was always encapsulated with his opening and closing narrations for all the episodes. Is He's kind of like, I'm going to paint this picture for you of what you're going to see. And at the end, you'd be like, now this is what you should have taken away from that. And, but he didn't really ever do it in a condescending way. He always did it very much as a, I know that you got this, but I'm just going to kind of put that final nail into it so that you get, yes, this is everything we were trying to tell you. Um, and especially from a, a parenting point of view, uh, as much as the show can be scary at times or very tense, there's a lot of really good moralistic lessons you can take away from both the original version and even some of the later remakes as well, too. That's my yeah. opinion on that. Gentlemen, you, uh, do you have thoughts on this at all? It, it's true. And it's, it's funny because um, the morals sort of are universal. So they don't just they're not just stuck in the 50s or the 80s mm-hmm. or yeah. the current age. Like they, there's their morals that are keep going yeah. on and on there's sort of universal truths for um yeah mm-hmm. sure i'm yeah. thinking i'm thinking of this one episode in that uh back uh, it's the equality of mercy starring dean stockwell yeah mm-hmm. yeah he's mad shaking his head he remembers that yeah, Steven. yeah. uh and that is the, about basically world war ii and uh being able to see the perspective of the enemy right mm-hmm. yeah and good sci-fi does that like they always uh, take yeah. you on different perspectives so you can see different um, ways of, you know, like Battlestar did that too. Like that's yeah. that's the only way you can do sci-fi, make it interesting is to mm-hmm. exactly. points of view of things mm-hmm. that happen in our lives. And I think one of the other, I guess, enduring uh, qualities of Twilight Zone because it was like an anthology series and uh, it didn't have like a, a solid setting and every episode mm-hmm. was its own kind of universe. Uh, it, it also introduced like this idea that you can tell like sure you can frame it in the cold war which was something that actually came up a lot in the 50 series but like eric was saying the messages were still such that they reached beyond like that time period and uh and there was a certain sort of uh i'll call it existentialism but there was a certain like lack of mooring in uh a particular set of values that makes it very universal um, from episode to episode. And so that I think is unique because I think a lot of shows that uh, came before and, uh, and, and have followed, they, they, they find themselves, I think a little bit too stuck in like a setting. Uh, yeah. and Twilight zone being the nature of, well, it's the twilight zone. <laughs> it's nowhere, you know? And I think that that, that's a really unique way of telling stories that can really uh, last because they, they have no time in place They're They go on. Exactly. I'm sure Rod Sterling actually says that in, at the end of one of the episodes. Oh, sure. Um, the okay. Ivy Beholder, oh, yeah. especially when he talks about how that lesson is not, it doesn't matter what era, is it now or is it later? Mm. It doesn't matter because it's part of the Twilight Zone. It's forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, no, I think, uh, like I said, like it's one of those that when you have messages and these moralistic lessons that are, are so universal, 
Um, I think it does definitely uh, lend itself to, I mean, once kids get to be a certain age, kind of you, you can try to turn them onto this and get them take a look at it. Because, I mean, they're very they're really cool shows, especially from the 50s or even now, especially with the, the Jordan Peele remakes, because so far he's had a, a pretty, pretty good level of success with those. Where it's kind of like, you know, check these out. Like these are these are really cool stories. It's not uh, it's not like a, a binge watching kind of thing. You don't have to watch it because there's no through line to the stories. They're just sometimes vaguely interconnected, but those are more just Easter eggs you find in the series than, you know, like oh my oh there's, there's these characters are going to interact soon. No, it's you can watch an episode, enjoy it for what it is, and not have to worry about connections to anything, which is a rarity in television these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, we we say this on the eve of the you know, return of Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah don't worry i have my wine ready oh, <laughs> red wine oh, uh, 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 um and i mean especially it's one of those things uh looking at the show that it definitely could bode well to to you know, try to introduce to kids because like we've said before this show is so immersed in pop culture like you know yeah. you can't you can't really watch anything that is sort of with, and I'm using quotation fingers, family-oriented, without there being a reference to the Twilight Zone at some point. Yes. Uh, like we said earlier, Matt Groening was a, clearly a huge fan of of Twilight Zone and Rod Serling's work, because Simpsons reference it almost every Halloween episode. There is some yeah. reference yeah. to Serling's work. <laughs> You know, They're whether it's dogs the playing poker. <laughs> <laughs> I know reference. There's a gremlin on the side of the bus. I just made my last payment. <laughs> but uh but yeah, no, and you know, or like uh what's the, the the scary door from Futurama. Mm-hmm. Which yes. is you know, like stuff yes. like that, where it's you know, there's so ingrained, or even and this is the one that kind of got me onto this set, anyone that's ever gone to Disney MGM Studios in Florida. There is the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror, where yes. you know you go in and they they cut together a Rod Serling intro using you know they edited dialogue and then the one thing that's very cool. I, have you guys ever been on that ride or been down to Florida to see it? It was being built when I was uh, there last. It's <laughs> one of those things like you go through the whole ride. It's a very very cool. It's like a drop ride in the dark. Um, there's a very cool moment when you kind of ascend up to the the platform before you start doing the the bouncing up and down where you actually like you're in this hallway it's like a hallway of the hotel and the cart that you're in uh basically you, you kind of go up in this elevator there's a little little scene that happens and then the whole thing fades out into a starscape oh and wow. you hear and serling starts to do the introduction and then your elevator car actually moves out of the elevator shaft you're in and starts going through the starscape and like the door appears and the eye appears and the e equals mc square like all kind of mm materialize around you as you're moving forward before you start the ride at wow. the and at the very end of the ride when you finally kind of hit the like the unload zone uh you you get this room and there's all these different artifacts that are recreations of, of famous artifacts from the tv show it's like a, this room full of easter eggs with you know I, like you have like the broken glasses and the you know the monkey yeah. with the symbols and the masks from the episode the masks like it's a very cool little little bit uh oh, but again it's one of those you go to Disney World. Disney has <laughs> reference to the Twilight Zone. As someone who hates roller coasters, yeah, that just what you said <laughs> makes me want to yeah. go on it. And yeah, oh, that, that yeah. was my sentiment exactly. That's you know what it's uh, <laughs> honestly it's if you go on like if you go onto YouTube or any of the video streaming, just type in Tower of Terror Florida. Sure. There are so many on ride videos. You don't get a great 
like it doesn't do it justice because a lot of it's dark. So you can't really get a good uh, impression of how it works. Mm-hmm. But just to wa- like, just to watch the lead-in into the actual drop part of the ride, yeah, it's worth it to watch that because you can hear the voiceover, you get to see the visuals. Um, the, and this is going to turn this is turning into less about the TV show and more about the ride. But I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it's the but, love of Twilight Zone. Yeah, <laughs> but but it does it, the ride does a very cool thing because you know most standard drop towers they raise you up they raise you up really high and then they just drop you with gravity this mm. one actually uses uh uses a rail system so okay. instead of dropping you down it actually they use magnets to pull you down and then pull you up so you don't have that gravitational oh, bottom drop out of your stomach huh. uh you I just like you feel drop out of me i don't know it's you know poop. i thought that i thought the same thing too because <laughs> i had to all but get dragged onto that ride um but you know what because i hate roller coasters for that same reason i hate that feeling of you know gravity dropping out from under you Mm-hmm. You do not, it is the smoothest ride ever. You do not feel that. You get the, obviously you get the thrill of, you know, flying up and down, but you don't, you never have that free fall moment where you feel like your stomach's dropping out from you. Hmm. Um, um, which we'll was see. kind of a cool feeling. It's a hard sell, I know, but like, sincerely, like I, I went on the ride and right afterwards, I'm like, we're going on that again. And like ran out the edges and ran back in. And cause I loved it so much. So I'm like, that was the coolest thing I've ever done. Well, Lord knows that I'm going to be going on rides during Star Wars Land, so exactly. I might as well go for that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so after me just doing a shameless plug for how great the ride is at Disney MGM. We love you, um, Disney. Love you, Disney. <laughs> Please sponsor us. Kevin Foggy's great, and so is Bob Iger. Synergy. <laughs> um I thought I would talk a little bit about some of our favorite episodes, because we've all talked about how we have a general love of the show. Um, and I wanted to lead off on this one because one of my favorite episodes, which is what a lot of people would consider the quintessential Twilight Zone episode, which is Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. Mm-hmm. Oh, or, yeah. depending on the remake, if you look at the Jordan Peele remake, it's Nightmare at 30,000 30, Feet. Because, well, we go higher. Uh, we, we, we go high. <laughs> it's, a longer, <laughs> yeah. it's a longer flight. It's, yeah, it's a different, yeah, it's a different flight. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, there was uh, originally it was episode one hundred and twenty-three of the original series. Yeah, it was one of the last uh, ones. Wow. Yeah, it was near the end of the run. Uh, in very infamously starring William Shatner. Mm. Yeah, he's um, so good. That's season so five, episode that. three, by the way. If for yeah, those who sorry, <laughs> yeah, for those that aren't giant nerds that count every single episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. I'm, I'm going to do a very brief plot summary on this for those that, for some reason, may not have ever heard of or seen this episode. Uh, William Shatter is uh, he's a gentleman who's on a flight. Uh, he's very nervous about flying, not a good flyer, which I can immensely relate to. I mm-hmm. loathe flying beyond all measure. It's a, it's a nighttime flight. There's a rainstorm they're going through. While he's sitting there trying to calmly fly, he notices something on the wing of the plane. And he's, convi- and he's convinced that the thing he sees is trying to sabotage the flight. So then the remainder of the episode is him trying to convince those around him that there is something on the wing of the plane. They need to land the plane instantly. I'll leave it at that for those that haven't seen it to watch the episode. But this is an episode that uh, has been infinitely parodied and satirized and referenced all throughout pop culture. Like we were saying earlier, the Simpsons uh, did the terror at five and a half feet for one of their tree houses of horror. I think it was the second (laughs) tree house of horror two did that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
I said they actually it got a remake for the Twilight Zone movie directed by George Miller, starring uh, John Lithgow, which then led to a wonderful little satire reference on Thirty Rock from the Sun. Yes. When, uh, yeah. William Shatner's character the big giant head meet for the first time in an airport. And he, How was your flight, sir? Oh, it was awful. There was something on the wing of the plane. And then Lithgow responds, that happened to me too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, which is, you know, like little tongue in cheek jokes like that. It is, like I said, it's an infinitely referenced episode. Definitely one worth looking at uh, in all its incarnations, both the original, the movie version and in the 2019 remake that Jordan Peele did, it was actually the second episode he released. He did a remake of it. It was called Nightmare at 30,000 Feet, uh, which takes that that core story of a man that's nervous to fly and is trying to save the plane and twists it in a very interesting way. And I'm not yeah. going to spoil it for anyone that hasn't seen it. Uh, mm-hmm. I highly recommend looking up the new series. It is in Canada, available on City TV. Uh, and for those that are in the States, it is on CBS Online. Uh, I definitely recommend if you haven't seen that, watch those episodes. Uh, Jordan Peele has done a masterful job of taking the spirit of the original series and giving it a very, very contemporary twist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I definitely agree. Yeah, you can see and, that and, in his filmmaking, right? And in the last two films. Oh, very much so. Yes. And he's very, very deftly stepped into the Rod Serling role in that show because he is the executive producer and he is you know, the head writer on it and he is the narrator host. So he is, he is our generation's Rod Serling and he's so far three episodes in at this point in time doing a masterful job of it with, uh, with no sign of it losing steam anywhere. Yeah. I was going to say, okay, so yeah, that's sort of my take on that show. And like I said, I'm, I'm a, a pretty big fan for, uh, for Serling's work. Um, gentlemen, I'll open up to you, your sort of impressions, especially on this episode. Uh, Hawk, I'll start with you on that one. What, what are your thoughts on, the OG nightmare, the remakes, the movies, all the fun nonsense with that. Well, the I think 20, it's a, or the um, yeah, the, the nightmare at uh, twenty thousand feet. Uh, I think it's important to re- to also preface this by mentioning that the character in that played in all, all three episodes in that uh, is exper- has experienced a mental breakdown at some point in that right. uh, Shatner's right, character. Yes. Yeah, Shatner's character was returning from a, a stay in a mental hospital after having a nervous breakdown. Uh, land you know uh, john lithgow's uh character in that you know he was it didn't really mention him like experiencing it but you could tell you yeah know? he nervous. was definitely a nervous flyer for yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah yeah like a one, one of those neurotic geniuses in that with you know kind of a, a tenuous grasp of reality yeah uh, and then you have in the remake adam scott's ptsd yeah from, ptsd from being, uh, a war reporter yeah, the past is the past and that uh, that mantra he keeps saying to try and keep himself in perspective uh also, a lot of the, that kind of that basis of the character in that also influenced the Simpsons parody in that and choosing Bart Simpson as the one seeing the gremlin in that because everybody always assumes, you know, Bart's just a, yeah, Bart's a unreliable narrator. In that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that uh, the, that premise all always influences like, you know, every remake in that. Uh, and, you know, mm-hmm. rightly so in that because, you know, it, it, it does keep the, the, the viewer in suspense. In, in suspension and that is this a man's imagination is he having another breakdown exactly yeah yeah um yeah. so yeah. on to somebody else yeah, so steve your thoughts on this on uh, that episode in particular like on that the, episode yeah yeah on, uh, on, on yeah, the nightmares I, I thought it was great um because uh you know going back and watching all three you know the originals the classic you know 
because it's it's a very straightforward story and it's told very well. The movie version is so fantastic, though. I mean, the stylistic, mm-hmm. like uh, just and the acting and the way it's shot. Like, I mean, they they could do so much yes. more because of yeah. the directing and the and the budget. Like, so yeah. that really is probably the best version of that story. Which brings mm-hmm. us to the new one because it is a different version, right? And that's mm-hmm. why yeah. I do, it's definitely still worth watching if people mm-hmm. think they know the story. You should yeah. see the new one. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think this sort of is my opinion of the whole series so far. I've only seen three episodes of the new remake, but they really captured the essence of what I think made the classic series so good. You know, like mm-hmm. they, they have this outer worldly quality to them, um, but they really have this like, um, like you really feel for the characters and the situations. It's a very emotional ride. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, so, so I, lo- I love the remake. Actually, I did want to add one last little thing. Um, mm-hmm. As I was going through them, I noticed like very quick uh, references to the classic series. And yes. I'm not totally clear about the one in the comedian, but I, I just want to run this by you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, it opens with like, um, you know, a painting of, uh, of an audience and mm-hmm. the faces are distorted just enough that I wanted to see, did you guys think that was a reference to um, Eye of the Beholder, but the way the faces were a little twisted? I don't know. Yeah. Could, be, could be a lot of things. There's, there's so I, many yeah. different episodes that yeah. do like, like yeah, weird and perceptions and, and especially yeah. paintings and Twilight Zone. So it's yeah. So I wasn't really back. sure about that one, but then like um, 20,000 feet has a direct reference because it, it shows yeah. um, something from the original story, but as a toy. Yes. And then the third one replay, which I don't know if everybody's seen yet, but there's like a, a two second scene of a, uh, of a, of a sort of a devil head bobbing, which is like a, oh, just you- on a machine. Um, yeah. That's from Nick of Time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another uh-huh. William Shatner episode. Now, it actually has nothing to do with the story, so that's why I can say this. It doesn't spoil mm, anything. They're, they're sort of like there's in a way, fate, right? It's, but it's not direct, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But it, but yeah, I was just like, oh man, now I'm gonna look for these Easter eggs. They're, they're probably yeah. in every episode. So now that like the theme of the third one was fate, and Nick of Time was about fate. So I wonder if like each of them is like a little thing about themes through each of them. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, especially with Jordan Peele. Um, oh yeah, he's he's definitely he's picking his spots very carefully with throwing in some beautiful homages to the original series, yeah. but still putting his his unique original spin on it, which I'm you know immensely happy to see. Because mm-hmm. that was the one thing that I was a little hesitant, like hesitant only because I'm like you know they're doing a new Twilight Zone, I'm like that's awesome, but how much of it is going to be a remake? How much of it is him going to be putting his own voice on it? Yeah. It's very clear that he's been putting his own stamp on these. Yeah, but, uh, still but still feeling origin, like feeling, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like still pay, paying the respects to the original and still acknowledging this is, you know, this has been around before, but making them his own, which is a beautiful thing to watch. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. You can see that with the remake of what the thirty thousand. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. Oh, absolutely. It, it, I think it, more so in the comedian than that because you know Jordan Peele started out in the comedy world and that. And, yeah. Uh, like, the nightclub scene is such such a brutal world in that. To, it is to, to be in. Uh, you know, so he he has that background in that, and he told an amazing story in that. Yeah, you know, from that. But very much a Twilight Zone story, though. Yeah. And, yeah, and for me personally, like only someone like Jordan Peele could get an actor like Tracy Morgan to play so against type. <laughs> oh, sure, yeah. Like it to the point where when I was watching the episode, I forgot that he was in it. When you first hear him talking and you don't see his face, I didn't know it was Tracy Morgan mm-hmm. until he kind of turns around. I was like, "Holy crap! Like that's beautiful." Well, I was going to say, you know, going from there, because I've just, you know, kind of riffed on what I think is, I have said is one of my favorite episodes. I kind of want to open it up to you, gentlemen, uh, just to sort of talk about your favorite episodes from the series, whether it's the original, 
you know, the film, the the remakes, or even the modern series. And Eric, I'm going to start off with you, sir. Sorry for which. Uh, your favorite oh, episode of the episode. Twilight Zone. Ah, uh, it's hard to pick just one. Um, but I'll. Well, you know what? Then I'll, I'll give you two. Then. I yeah no no I'm just gonna pick. <laughs> there's no order to these. I just like them yeah. all in general. Um, it's the one featuring Edwin. I think we mentioned it on a previous episode. It's the second episode of the original series. It's called One for the Angels, and no. it's about a um a salesman who meets up with death. Yes, mm-hmm. I remember. And death this tells him about how everyone has his time and. But if you have a certain, you know, you have a case and you have to do something before you die, he'll give you some time. So um, Edwin tells him that he has never done a perfect sale and that he'll never be able to do one. So he gives him, he sort of runs off and that's like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to make this uh, truck run over a girl. (laughs) And so it hits a girl. And instead of him taking Edwin, he's like, I'm going to have to take this girl because someone has to go in this time. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to try and delay you till midnight because that's when he's supposed to take the girl. And he does this perfect pitch. And it's sort of this beautifully written and acted um, episode. And it, it's it's just like, yeah. you know, the yeah. story is about, you know, death has its time. It'll come for you. But, you know, so just try and do what you can in the time you have. Yeah. It's a great portrayal of death, too. He's, he's so reasonable and measured. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's an interesting. It's, it's great. That's a great episode. I love that one, too. Yeah. yeah. Anyone else seen it? Hawk? Matt? Oh, yeah, no, that was definitely one of the ones <laughs> I really enjoyed. For me, I was saying I really enjoyed that, especially, you know, it has that that extra message of the, you you can't cheat death. You can try, but, you know, you can't find a loophole with death, which, again, is a trope that's appeared in movies and, and writing since then. This is the myth of Sisyphus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And plus having, like, a such a prolific actor like edwin in the series like this mm-hmm. like it you know you, you have all these big name actors you, you have shatner and stuff but edwin was big at that time so oh yeah yeah you know that gives us some oomph yeah and that was you know that was the one thing that the original series was kind of known for is that they, they we would get these very prolific known actors and serling was always great at making sure that if he got them in he would kind of cast them against type like they, he wouldn't be playing the kind of character you'd always expect them to play. You would get a different spin on that, which you know has kind of carried over throughout this various series, mm-hmm. you know, even now to the 2019 remake, where you know, like the remake of Nightmare Thirty Thousand Feet, it's Adam Scott who is very well known as a comedic actor, playing not a comedic role. <laughs> yeah, but, or even, or even like I said, Tracy Morgan before in the in the comedian, where it's you know you hear Tracy Morgan and you expect the Tracy Morgan character. And he played so against his type, but still did such a wonderful job. Even and even in the original Nightmare with Shatner, he was as much as he was, you know, William Shatner. He was known for Star Trek. Not and yet. So, and, no, Not yet. Oh, no, no, that's right. You're right. I take yeah. that back. Also, that was his second episode in Twilight Zone, right? He that's where he done the first yeah, one. Nick too, of yeah. Time was earlier. Nick of time. Yeah, no, I forgot that this was this predated Star Trek by a few years. <laughs> not not much. But, yeah. <laughs> not much. But it was right before it. Yeah. Cut that part out. <laughs> No, that one's so good. <laughs> Beautiful. Oh man. Um, so Eric, do you have any other episodes that kind of jump to mind as sort of personal favorites? Oh, you want me to go with both of mine? Yeah. yeah oh, sure. okay. Um, what was my second one? Uh go to someone else because I have to figure it out. Okay, you know, we'll just do a little round robin on this. Uh Steve, do you have any 
episodes yeah. that jump to mind. Yeah, like Eric was saying, it's really hard to pick, uh, you know, because it's lots of different kinds of stories, too. So it kind of depends on your mood. And then I'm like mm-hmm. trying to look at it from like, oh, well, what would I show to somebody, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But I have to say one of my personal favorites, and it's probably one that's a little bit odd, is uh, Five Characters in Search of an Exit, uh, yeah. which is a weird episode in which uh, a, a army major wakes up in, uh, in a space and discovers uh, a clown, a hobo, a ballerina, and uh, a bagpiper. Oh yeah, uh, and um, the dialogue is just so good. Now I don't mm-hmm. know if because I'm older and you know uh, I appreciate it more for the drama of it, but but all the characters in their very sort of amnesiac uh, but still well scripted roles are performed extremely well, and the conversations they have are just fantastic. Like it's just just a, it's a wonderful piece of writing. And um, yeah, so it's it's a little bit of a weird episode, I think, to pick. But it's uh, I think it, it, it I, I don't know that I remember it vividly as a child, but there's something uh, very existential about the story because they don't know why they're there, they don't know mm-hmm. how they got there, they don't know you know who they are even other than that you know they're wearing these costumes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, I know I I think that's a it's a great episode. I, I, Absolutely. I I'm I was confused by this episode because of the ending. Like, was this meant that they were toys? Oh, yes. Way to blow it for everybody. Well, okay. people are going to watch it. Like, uh, yeah, it's hard. Yeah. It's like, yeah. is it the they imagination yes. of that person yeah, were, who was yeah. playing it? No, no, yeah, they're no, toys. They were toys. They're actual toys. Okay. They just, they, it's, they it's a dark toy toys. story. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. a dark story. It's a dark toy story because one of the key lines the ballerina, uh, it turns out the ballerina was correct because the hobo says uh, they're uh, in purgatory. Um and the major eventually that says they're in hell, but the ballerina yeah. says maybe this is a place for uh, for for people who are unloved, and mm-hmm. so ultimately that's actually she was correct because they were in a bin for donations of toys for uh, for you know orphans or something, mm-hmm. and uh, but the Rod Serling outro is to suggest that but children love toys so they would find love eventually. Right? Mm-hmm. So that was Sid's yeah. house basically from Toy Story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not well, even so much not as much that, but I think it's more of a, if you look at those characters as, as from like taking the Toy Story stance on it, yeah, yeah. if they're all Buzz Lightyear where they are not a, they're not aware that they're toys, they only have their own knowledge yeah. of who they are. Yeah. And, and but so much- none of them have that that knowledge to be like no, we're going to fill you in, you're just a child's toy. They had no idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's not so much Sid's because like, they weren't being tortured. They just happened to be in like a donation bin. So it was like yeah. this weird like you know sci-fi space like with just blank walls and you know that and and of course the promise of what rod serling is suggesting at the end is when a child eventually does come and claim one of them they'll find mm-hmm. a home they'll find a okay. purpose at that point yeah so it's yeah. not as i not feel as like great. i need to rewatch this episode because it's been a long time i do oh, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's I, not I a it's it's a bit of an odd choice i know yeah. Well, yeah i'm reading the the wikipedia on this and apparently this episode was the inspiration for cube you remember that film? Oh, yep. sure. Yeah, I could yeah. see that. Yeah. Totally yeah. makes sense. Totally makes sense. That's awesome. You know, a group of people randomly in a space. They have no idea why they're there. Yep, that's, yeah. that sounds <laughs> about right. And, and it's, just, it, it's all dialogue driven. Yeah, that whole episode. Because there's nothing they can do except talk, right? So Yeah. This reminds me of that TNG episode in that. Uh, yes. Picard, yeah, Picard, yeah. Picard wakes up in the lab. <laughs> or what? They, yeah. they don't know it's a lab. They don't know why they're there. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Mr. Hawk, do you have a particular favorite that comes to mind? 
Yeah, one always stuck with me, and I know I saw it like when I was a kid and that uh, during one of my lunchtime sessions, and that uh, I didn't even know the title until a few days ago. And that Midnight Sun. Oh, so oh yeah, yeah, classic episode in that uh, where the uh, Earth, due to some sort of calamity in that its gravitational axis is shifted in that, and the Earth begins to slowly rotate closer and closer to the Sun. Mm -hmm. And it was it's a particularly vivid episode in that because you know just. it it really effectively makes use of set of set, you know, mm-hmm. uh, just the way you can you really feel like the heat in that from that episode and that, mm-hmm. and particularly towards the end and that as as it you know as as disasters you know befalls the woman and that and the mm-hmm. thermometer explodes, the paintings yeah. start to melt and that. Yeah, the tension. Yeah, when that painting mm-hmm. starts to melt, you're like, oh, oh yeah, God. Oh. yeah, like it's just so intense. Just, and the desperation of people around her and that you know just told through story and that you hear about people trying to move to you know to moving south to try and you know you know get into colder climates and that just mm-hmm. to try and stave off everything but the the feeling of doom throughout the entire episode and then of course the twist at the end mm-hmm. uh yeah i don't know if i should spoil it for anybody who's listening but Go for it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I spoiled the, the last the, episode. The, the show. <laughs> well, we don't have to spoil them all. <laughs> no. To, to be fair, but the show has been around for you know sixty plus years at this point. <laughs> That's true. Someone's so, gonna so, look up the title and just gonna be like. There's the yeah. ending. But this yeah, one, but this one had a double twist ending though, so that's why it's, it's like, very true. Yeah, probably keep it. It's that's, just yeah. such a good episode. It's yeah, very Absolutely. just effective storytelling, mm-hmm. uh, use of set. You know, one of the classics. And and I, I yeah, I was looking. It shows up a lot on the top tens for mm-hmm. Twilight Zones. You know, yeah, very favorites. much so. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Mr. Eric, do you have another favorite one that's coming to mind? Do you want to go before me? Do, do no, 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 no. I'm gonna, I'm gonna save my second for the last. Okay, I have a, I have a hard time picking this one because there's, I just recently saw a 2000 episode that I really enjoyed, but, mm-hmm. um, well, I, maybe we get a third choice. We'll see how much time we have. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm gonna go with uh, time, time enough at last, which was sure. the eighth episode of the first season. And it's about this bookworm who's, you know, he's really into his books. He's sort of, you know, out of it. He doesn't really do well in his job. He's in a bad marriage. Uh, his boss mm-hmm. hates him because he's all, he's a big bookworm. This is the one that gets parried. One of the most parodied yeah. ones in, in media. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so basically what happens is he, he goes down and he works at a bank. He goes down into the vault and he, you know, he's, he's on his lunch hour and he, reads the newspaper you know atomic bombs can destroy the world and then you know an atomic bomb destroys the world and he Mm -hmm. goes out outside and he's like there's there's this whole sense of despair um after he leaves the uh the bank and there's actually a really really intense moment where he picks up a gun you're like oh my god is he gonna kill himself on tv um which you don't expect in an old tv show you know it goes from there I sort of want to spoil it because everyone knows the ending because everyone has seen it. But he, he and we've referenced end, it already. Yeah, he, he does end up finding um, a bunch of books and he sort of lays them all out. He's like, oh, this is the next month and I'm the next month. I have years of books. And then he, he bends over and he breaks his glasses and he's blind as a bat. And as someone who is blind as a bat, as he mm-hmm. is, I understand that pain. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. Well, it's, it's not, not fair. fair. It's not I finally fair. had time. 
it's it's one of those episodes even though if you already know the premise um it's worth watching because Burgess Meredith does such an amazing job of creating a, a empathetic uh character he's yeah. he's quite pathetic but you still feel for his situation and his yeah. love of books and reading you and feel so you're really, really bad about him yeah yeah you feel really bad <laughs> for the character and so it's 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 yeah you might understand the outline but the effect of the episode is quite powerful and it's and funny I mean, cuz you're, you're like why is everyone so mad at him for reading? Like yeah. his, his boss is like, you read and you talk to people about books. It's sort of like looking at a, a pre nerd comic book nerd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, people are like, why are you reading those comic books? You shouldn't be reading that. Yeah. And that, you know, that's sort of how no we one's got any use for that book learning. Yeah. <laughs> let's <laughs> the, let's the weirdest, go watch the sports ball. <laughs> the weirdest part was his wife, like ripping out like, poems like who what why well they, they, they made her they made her almost cartoonish though frankly she I mean, was yeah some of those were <laughs> real jerks for no reason yeah. uh thoughts on this anyone yeah. else but it, it is also very interesting to go back and look at that episode well i was going to say it's, it's interesting to go back and look at that because you know like i said the episode stars burgess sorry burgess meredith who a lot of people knew later on as the penguin from the, right. the adam west batman series yep. Um, or Mickey from the rock from the Rocky movies, yeah. and even uh, Lincoln legs, yeah. <laughs> or or for those that 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 came into it even later, he was also uh, Jack Lemon's dad, or was Jack Lemon or Mathau's dad in Grumpy Old Men, right? Oh, wow. Lemon's dad, yeah, he played Jack Lemon's. Yeah, it was Jack Lemon's dad. Oh man! Uh, with again some of the filthiest improv dialogue. If you've never seen the outtakes from Grumpy Old Men, look them up just to watch Burgess Meredith riffing because it is just reprehensibly horrible. I'm doing that right now. Yeah, um, and he still has, and he still has that sort of half penguin laugh. He's like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, the penguin just got dirty as an old man. <laughs> yeah, he actually um, was in four episodes of the Twilight Zone. Yeah, he oh, was and, a it was a favorite. Yeah, and wasn't he like the narrator, like for either the movie or something? In the in the movie, the nineteen eighty three movie, the Spielberg Landis movie, he took over the the narration. Yeah. <laughs> so he's oh. a he's a staple of Twilight Zone. That's awesome. Yeah, that actually that eighty three movie had a lot of actors uh, from the original series come mm. back to do to do cameos. Mm. Uh, they they wanted to try to stay you know pay as much yeah. homage as they could. Yeah, real love of the series. Oh, absolutely. All right, uh, Mr. Steve, do you have a second episode that you want to talk about? Well, like Eric, I've got several, uh, but yeah. I will pick. Uh, <laughs> is anybody else going to say the masks? Because I have another um, choice, I can go with. It, it was on my short list, but there's one that I, I'm okay. I don't think anyone else is going to bring up, so I'm going to save that one. All right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's so hard to pick, but yeah, similar to uh, five characters in search of an exit, uh, masks. Uh, I really enjoy for the dialogue. Um, and, uh, I won't spoil the ending, uh, just because, uh, you know, it's a podcast and maybe there's some younger people here who didn't see the show, even though it's been 50 years, you know? So, and, yeah. you know, maybe because of the interest of the new show too. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this is a very dialogue heavy episode, but basically it's about a, an older man who is, uh, on his deathbed and, uh, he has brought his, uh, his daughter, um, her husband and their children to come. Uh, it's also Mardi Gras apparently. Um, and, um, he, uh, he hates them. And uh, they hate him. <laughs> and the only reason his extended family have come is uh, they uh, they want to inherit everything and they want to make sure you know everything's in place when he dies. Uh, and he knows this. Uh, so he has prepared uh, special masks that they're all going to wear until midnight. And that is his one condition 
that they must do in order to inherit everything. Mm -hmm. And it's mostly just a lot of people very awkwardly uh, trying to be polite. And then eventually he just tells them exactly what he thinks of every single one of them. And it's, it's just, it's just amazing dialogue. That's all. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And it's a great uh, Twilight Zone ending. So that's uh, one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Yeah, no, that was another one where it was very much a a moralistic tale, mm. uh, but done in a very, you know, it wasn't broad selling getting up on a soapbox and saying, you know, no. be, be good people. He just said, you know, this is the thing you have to remember is that, you know, you reap, you reap what you sow and you, know, you can't keep your, you can't keep face hidden for long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that line that he says right at the end is mm-hmm. so good. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You're not Rod Sterling, um, which yeah. I guess I won't spoil. Because we're not spoiling. Yeah. So. We're not going to spoil these ones. <laughs> do whatever you want. I, I just... But yeah, no, definitely one to take a look at. Uh, Mr. Hawk, do you have another favorite one? Uh, yeah. Um, the Monsters Are on Maple Street. Yeah. Oh, good. There I was is. hoping someone was going to say this one. That was the one that I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, as far as as far if you were to pick one to show a parent and that who might want to you know show their kids and that, I, I, I might go for that one and that uh, because yeah. like the message in it just transcends like so many generations in that um the original episode in that was uh probably shortly after uh the, you know the fall of mccarthyism in the states and that yeah. you know a blacklist and the, the red menace and that and every neighbors looking mm-hmm. for you know you know, any suspicious activity among their neighbors and that. Mm-hmm. So the premise of the episode is that after a, 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 some sort of a near flyby from an unknown object, uh, mm-hmm. the entire neighborhood loses power uh, and neighbors can't understand what's going on and that. Is this some sort of an attack and that? And mm-hmm. they be- slowly begin to devolve and start turning on each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a very powerful message and it was recreated in 2002 in that in a, in a remake and that uh, that happened shortly after the events of 9-11 mm-hmm. uh, and you know s- still the message carries over in that especially uh, yeah. now yeah very much oh, yeah, and suspicion very yeah. much so now yeah. in that because you know it, it, the situation like you know we we're experiencing in today and that where everybody's so divided in that mm-hmm. um like it's it's sad to think that you know like after some 60 odd years and that, you know, we still haven't kind of fully engulfed yeah. that message. <laughs> so, well, and it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that one because I just in doing some of my research, there is a, a very heavy rumor that one of the remake episodes for the 2019 series is going to be the monsters are due on Maple I, street. I heard that too. Uh, so I'm really, and I'm hoping that's the case. I really would love to see Jordan Peele's take on that story in a contemporary setting. So I think yeah. it'll be very, the very telling of of society right now, yeah. Especially, well, especially uh, after the most recent episode of Twilight Zone, right? It would it would very much fit in that theme. Yeah, and yeah. also especially since you know what he ended up doing with the remake of Twenty Thousand Feet. I mean, he altered it in such a fundamental way that I'd be very curious. Like, oh boy, you know, is he going <laughs> to stick closer to it, or is he going to do Jordan Peele to it? You know, and I'd be yeah. happy with either at this point. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm going to jump in here now because I'm going to give because the monsters are are come to or are come to Maple Street was one of the ones I had. There's another one I have that uh, I actually fell in love with from the '83 movie, and then went back and watched the original version of it, and was then uh, at Steve's uh, mentioning went and saw the one of the rare sequels to it that came out, and it's the episode "It's a Good Life." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is another off-referenced uh, off uh, episode of this particular show. <laughs> yeah, Simpsons did it. Simpsons, Simpsons did it. Uh, it's been, <laughs> Simpsons did it. 
uh, where it's basically, uh, and there's been di- different versions of it. Uh, I'm going to go with the, the movie version of it because that was the one that I first encountered. Yeah, where it's uh, a small town teacher is making her way to her new position and comes across a child in an arcade. Uh, and he invites her home to meet his family, you know, have dinner. And she goes back and finds out that uh, living in that house is a monster that everyone in the family is terrified of. And without it being particularly spoilerish, because it's a very well-known episode, it turns out the monster is that child. Uh, it's a child that has the ability to turn his any wish into reality. And it's the, the repercussions of having a, a six in the original episode. It was a six year old. And I believe in the movie, it was a, a nine or 10 year old, but it's uh, the, the repercussions of having a child that has infinite power and can do whatever he wants with no parental supervision mm. because the parents are scared of him because they don't want to get sent to the cornfield. Yeah. Uh, and it's a, uh, it's a particularly, I mean, the, the original episode is very chilling the uh, the Joe Dante remake in the film walks a very fine line between terrifying and hilarious. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, which Dante at that point in time was very much becoming known for because this is the man that also was responsible for Gremlins. Mm, that makes a lot of um, sense. Yeah. But it's it's very interesting, uh, and what uh, it's a fun little uh, it's a little Easter egg that I like to throw in, uh, especially because, like I said, they had covered the episode on The Simpsons. Um, the in the movie, the woman that played uh Anthony, which is the name of the boy's uh sister, I believe, yeah. the one that was stuck watching TV the whole time, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that gave was, me nightmares. Oh. That that little reveal, I had nightmares about that, yeah. I mean, go on, <laughs> was and I, I want to get it right because it's one, it's one of the two, and I should have looked it up. Uh, the woman that played uh Anthony, which is the name of the, the boy's sister, was played by Nancy Cartwright. Nice. So, so I thought that was a nice was little Ethel. Ethel, thank you. Um, so that was kind post. of a. No, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, you don't need to fix it in post. Uh, but so that was like a, a fun little a little tie-in that you know years later, uh, they would go back and they would parody that on The Simpsons with Bart having the power, and <laughs> oh, and then you have Nancy wow. Cartwright. Yeah. for her. Wow. And it's you know that's that would be one of those I think would be very interesting to be like okay sure I can do this I was there when we shot the movie. <laughs> Oh boy, you've just yeah. made that Simpsons episode extra sinister now. That's all I'm right. gonna <laughs> Um and yeah, like I said, Steve uh had Steve had mentioned to me because I didn't know this in the uh does the two thousand two yeah uh, mm-hmm. run of the series, they actually did uh a sequel to the to this episode called It's Still a Good Life, which deals with the they actually had the actors come back and play reprise their roles, which had, yeah, I don't think 40 had ever been done later. at that point. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. So they're all grown up, and it's just, you know, it's the now the, the child who is now grown up and his daughter who has inherited his powers. And yeah. you know, his the, daughter, the, the, man. And it's actually his real daughter, too. It was actually actress. his real oh, daughter, yeah. Because yeah. they yeah. look yeah. so similar. And yeah. I was like, wow. Yeah. They had the same so, yeah. look. Like, yeah. That intense look. I was like, that's, yeah, it's that <laughs> terrifying, intense look that just, there's something about when you put children in a horror scenario that it just, you know, that. Children of the Corn, Village of the Damned. Kids, when they're being evil, are creepy AF, and it just gets you to the core every time. Yeah. That's why I'm looking forward to Brightburn. (laughs) Oh, I know. Uh, So, yeah, so those that's uh, that's my favorite on that one. Uh, Does anyone else have any episodes that kind of jump to mind since we have a little bit of time? We can kind of discuss anything else that jumps to mind from later series. I'll do one from 2003 just because no one talks about that as much yeah. um yeah which is funny because they have that very corn-esque 
intro to the <laughs> um, yeah. yeah grateful dead did the intro for the 80s series so. did yeah oh, man. yeah um so in 2003 the i believe the 30th episode it was called into the light and yes. it's about this teacher who started seeing this sort of glow around people's faces and she finds out that this glow meant that those people were going to die she finds this out on the bus when this guy has a heart attack and then one of her students ends up dying but then one day she goes to school and she starts seeing all of the kids with glows on their face. And this was a time that was just, you know, after Columbine. So, you know, that this is mm-hmm. about school shootings and it ends up being about a school shooting and she tries to warn people. And it's such a well acted mm-hmm. episode and it was mm-hmm. right in the right time to, to air it. And, mm-hmm. you know, what do you do in that situation? You try and save everyone, but yeah, and nobody believes no you. No one believes you, right? Yeah. So I, I highly recommend. I'm not going to spoil that one because that is a really good episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Check it out. Plus, it has Samantha yeah. Mathis, who is, um, you know, everyone's crush from the Super Mario Brothers movie. <laughs> 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 oh. Okay. You, you just you just made that episode less good for me. But yes, thanks. <laughs> she, she was one of the better parts of that movie. <laughs> sure. Sure. Cool. <laughs> uh, Steve, are there any other? I know you probably have a few more episodes you'd love to talk about. Is there any anyone that jumps to mind? In well, your I short just want to say, if if you haven't seen Twilight Zone, um, you should probably watch Eye of the Beholder. But um, just, yep. just yeah. either version, really. But I think the original one is just very dramatic and really good. But um, the one I wanted to talk about, though, is a kind of a, a silly one. It's a, it's a departure from all the serious stuff we've been talking about. It's actually from the '80s, and it's one that I have a a, a love of because I grew up. And it just stuck with me. It's called the Misfortune Cookie, and uh, Elliot Gould plays a, a restaurant critic who loves destroying restaurants and wrecking, <laughs> like basically putting them out of business with his horrendous reviews. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, yeah, he goes to a brand new Chinese restaurant, and he gets a fortune cookie that turns out to be true. And he starts to use mm-hmm. his uh, his uh, journalistic power over the restaurant to get more fortune cookies. And uh, anyway, it doesn't work out for him. So it's a, <laughs> it's a really dumb, short little story, but I just I just find it really funny. And uh, also, I learned one thing uh, I didn't realize, but uh, Chinese funeral garb is uh, actually dark blue and white, which I did not know until I saw that episode. Hmm. Well, there you go. Interesting. Learning. Mm-hmm. You got one? Mr. Hawk. Oh, do you have an extra one? Um, So this one is called the new exhibit, and that, and it was uh, it was episode thirteen from the from the fourth season, and that, and uh, was actually. Yeah, it's. I don't uh, remember uh, the fourth season. <laughs> the fourth season was, was weird because they're all like hour long, right? That's what I was yeah. about to mention. Is that they switched from the half hour format to an hour long format. But uh, the new exhibit was about a museum worker in that who took care of these uh, wax uh, figures uh, that all depicted uh, various serial killers throughout history. In that, oh, it sounds awesome. Yeah, uh, at some point, uh, he, he his his tenure at the museum has come to an end, and uh, they're no longer able to take care of the wax mu- the wax figures. Uh, so he takes them home to his basement in the, <laughs> but to his wife's consternation in that he installs a new air conditioner and try to keep them chill in that he feels this deep connection to these wax figures in that because he's kept, he's tended to them this whole life in that. Right. Uh, it, it's, it's one of the creepiest episodes in that because like throughout the whole thing, you are watching these figures and you realize that there is an actor inside each of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah I, 
I vaguely recall that one. I remember it being particularly creepy just because I'm like, wax figures are generally creepy. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. So towards the, you know, as the episode plays out and that, and uh, the ultimate twist comes at the end and that, he ends up joining the exhibit as one of the murderers. Yeah. Goodness. Yes. Yeah, it just gets particularly chilling and creepy. Oh, yeah. Uh, throughout yeah. but yeah uh, fantastic episode and uh, like I said you spend the entire episode waiting for these things to come to life which you know they do <laughs> <laughs> absolutely awesome I'm gonna have to check that out yeah after yeah. you talked about the the synopsis of it I was like oh yeah I remember this one right Definitely one of those yeah. nightmare ones yeah, I totally yeah. don't remember this one uh, so I must yeah. must not because of the hour length I it probably wasn't playing when i was watching it you know like because of the format yeah, they, they yeah. generally just played the half hour ones because yeah. they put in that mm-hmm. the, that slot where they're like we got to fit something here exactly yeah. yeah so i i don't think i've ever seen this one i'm gonna check this out immediately after nice yeah. well and it's funny for those of you that are interested on that uh every episode of the original series is available on cbs all access mm. uh, so if you have a subscription to that go on and check it out they have the original the entire original series uh, and for those of you that don't, very easy to download the app. And there's actually, uh, right now, they're running a free uh, free trial for the first month. So if you want to go on, blitz through the whole series. And then if you don't want to continue the subscription, that's your choice. And you can take it up with CBS. Yeah. And if CBS wants to sponsor a podcast that wants to watch all of it, you know. <laughs> yeah, we're here. absolutely <laughs> too. Yeah. But I thought I'd give that little, for those I know, especially finding a lot of older shows, it's very difficult. There's a lot of different streaming apps. That one I know definitively it's all available because I got the subscription before I found out that you couldn't get uh, the new twilight zone on CBS all access in Canada. Yep. Hmm. Yeah. Sorry about that. I would have told you. No. <laughs> it was no big deal. Cause I found out it was on city TV, which is, you know, also free. So I'm not worried about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to, I'll talk about mine now. Uh, Cause we've mentioned it earlier. And again, it's one of those uh, it's an episode that is, uh, referenced in pop culture, not as much as others, but it's still referenced occasionally. It's called "Eye of the Beholder," mm. which we talked about earlier. Which you know deals with a woman who's uh, who's in a hospital. Her entire face is covered with bandages because, you know, as all the the staff and her, even the patient herself say that she's just grotesquely ugly, uh, and they've been trying all these different procedures to try to fix what's wrong with her face, uh, and you never actually see her face because it's all swathed in bandages, and then you know they. She has discussions with doctors and nurses about how she's tried every possible procedure that they have available to them. And, you know, it's they haven't worked. If this one doesn't take, there are no more chances. And she's going to be basically sent to a commune to live with people of her type. Yeah, her kind. Um, her kind. And uh, this is one that I am going to spoil because, like I said, it's referenced very, very often. And it is uh, one of the more well-known episodes that when the bandages are finally removed and they find out that the surgery has not taken, you find out that she is a very beautiful woman. And then because throughout the entire episode, the rest of the hospital staff had all been uh, through perspectives uh, shadowed and you never see their faces. You find out they all have these distorted pig like snouts. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you find out that, you know, because she does not have the same aesthetic as them, she's considered horrendously ugly and is basically sent to sent to live on a, in a commune out in the country with people that are like her. And those people that are like her are, Normal Gorgeous. looking, you know, <laughs> yeah. very, very attractive by, by a contemporary standard individuals, which is the message that they're trying to tell on that, which is, you know, beauty is literally in the eye of the beholder. Exactly. Yeah. And they actually talk um, about that quote um, right at the end of the episode, the, the, the yeah. guy from mm-hmm. the commune 
actually says mm-hmm. that. And it's, yeah, it's one of the again one of the rare episodes where they actually reference the title in the episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do recommend um, the the original black and white one. It's just so dramatic the way it's shot. It's yes, just, just a really powerful piece of mm-hmm. I, I, I call it cinema almost. Yeah, yeah. The mm-hmm. two thousand two one seems like a shot for shot remake, but just trying to be a little bit more. And Dial- it, like, yeah, it, it doesn't feel line, as great dude. as the. As, yeah. as the original the one. black and white makes it more dramatic like i mean i appreciate the the uh prosthetics in the new version mm-hmm. um and there's nothing wrong with the new version I, it, it's mm-hmm. okay but i just like the i think the drama is stronger in the original mm-hmm. well the one thing i found especially because the two like they said they were very very similar with how they were shot is i find that especially when you're dealing with a lot of shadow work which they did in that episode because they wanted to keep you know, the, the different hospital workers' faces hidden. In black and white, it's so much easier to do that when you're dealing with full color yeah. film. It, like shadow work can only do so much because you're you're catching different aspects of light. Whereas, you know, in, in the 50s in a sound studio where you had control over, you either had black or white or, or variants of gray, you can keep faces hidden and it didn't look forced. Yeah. It looked yeah. it looked just sort of incident. Like you know, unless you until you know what happens. You don't necessarily realize you're not seeing anyone's face. You kind of your mind fills in the blanks. Yeah, no, it, I agree. It's funny because when I saw this episode the first time, I was I was probably a teenager, and mm-hmm. it immediately made me think of Johnny Got His Gun. Have you seen this movie? I assume Hawk has seen this movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know so the movie you're referencing. Was that movie, wasn't that a reference in the Metallica video? This is the one video. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So the whole he's wrapped up the whole time, and you know. Yes. Well, idea. Um, and so I saw it, and then I saw the Twilight Zone episode. And I was like, "Oh, so that's where they got this idea." Yes, it's, it's so good. the The bad thing about this um this episode now being um at our present you know technological state is the Blu-ray release of this episode. You can see the nurse that comes in at the at the beginning of the episode, and she's normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, 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 her profile is no, no, like even when she walks in, you can see. Oh, her. really? Oh, okay. And you're like, oh yeah. man, there's yeah, something they, they, they missed. They, they did a lot of adjustments and corrections on it, and then didn't realize. Oh wait, you're you're seeing more than you should be seeing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, of the, it, sorry. What oh, do you think of no. the 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 theme of like the 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 society they live in the dic- the dict the dictatorship and the, and the propaganda that uh, is used at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah that, that sorry, go Steve. I was gonna say, like, that's another reason why that episode is good because not only does it have like this this poignant tale of this woman and her struggles and and you feel for her, but it adds this extra layer of you know this, this dystopian societal um enforcements of norms. So and that aspect of it doesn't really blossom until the very end, but it's it's still hinted at throughout. So it's it's neat because it add, it does add some depth. Um and uh, mm-hmm. I think it adds more to the story. Yeah, when he talks about conformity oh. and how everyone needs to be the same. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's very especially now if they do another remake of this, very prevalent in today's society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that yeah, that's one of those I'm not even sure if this one would make a successful remake right now without without doing a very broad deviation from yeah. the, the original material because it just wouldn't and then that wouldn't really translate work, right? as much. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know if that's a good one to remake. Mm-hmm. Actually I wanted to point out one other detail about that episode. Um did you notice how like at the end like when it is revealed like they're in this dystopian sort of weird sci-fi society and like the leader is like on on all the TVs. Those are like flat screen TVs. That episode yeah. like predicted like glass flat screen televisions. Like, mm-hmm. like it's amazing. Anyway, I, oh, just, yeah. I really like that detail when you watch it now. It's just like <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even notice that. And I love yeah. that. Oh yeah, no, that was 
there was some very unique tech that he was like, oh, we're being all futuristic and it's so crazy. And then you realize, oh, wow, that's that. No, they called that. That was a yeah. that was a good prediction on that one. Yeah, it's, it's not like, important, but yeah. it just I just like that. It was like yeah. when Star Trek had the dat, the data pad, right? And yeah. you're like, oh, yeah, that would be neat to have. And now everyone. Yeah. And then Steve Jobs is like, yeah, it would be really neat for everyone to have one. Let's make it. Yeah. And sell it too much. Um, and then, you know, it's this is an episode, you know, this will kind of take us into our, our last little segment on the episode, which is uh, trying to introduce parents uh, and subsequently even kids into this series, the Twilight Zone as a series. And if there would be episodes that we would want to recommend that they kind of focus on. I mean, I think us bringing up our favorites, I think definitely gives a lot of options for people to look at. Um, you know, Eye of the Beholder, I think is definitely one because it does have a very, a very universal message, which is ultimately beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Uh, and it is, you know, it's all relative. Um, but I just want to kind of open up if there's any other episodes outside of maybe the favorites that we've talked about that you think would be a great way to introduce parents into this ep- into this series that may or may not have seen it or may not have you know have watched it years and years ago but haven't necessarily re-watched it since then or even parents that could then introduce their their kids into this with the caveat of it obviously the show is not for everyone and you want to sort of be mindful of you know the the age and the maturity of the children you want to introduce this because it does deal with some very heavy material and it does deal yeah. with some particularly scary images even for adults to watch let alone children so i'll just kind of open the floor up to anyone that wants to dive in with maybe some episodes that uh we have or haven't talked about uh just to recommend for people getting into the series anyone i can i can go yeah all right okay i'm gonna actually go with the one from this year i'm gonna go with replay because it's very prevalent in our society um it's with it's it's a, a lot about the themes of race and race relations and what we do in certain um situations um the 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 idea that uh people of color that have to talk to their children about how they have to act in front of police officers or in front of other people of color of, of non-color of like white descent is is sad but it's something that is very like it's very apparent in our in our worlds it's something you have to do um it's something that um i take to heart being someone who's not white and it's it's something that i don't think i'd have to talk about because i'm i'm asian it's not one of those things that sort of yes you 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 don't really experience it but we get a different type of racism so Mm -hmm. the idea of racism and and doing that in the twilight zone is it's something that i think Mm -hmm. we should you know Mm -hmm. look into well uh yeah, I guess um, I'd say. Well, I've got I've got a couple uh, suggestions. I'll just say real quick. There's one episode called "Will the Real Martian Please Stand Up." I think it's a bit of a mm-hmm. silly uh, story, yeah. but I think it, it encapsulates uh, the Twilight Zone very well. But the one I wanted to talk about. Wait, wait, is that from the 2000s? Oh no, sorry, sorry. No. To clarify, this is from season two, uh, from 1961. Um, it's the OG. Mm-hmm. And basically, uh, basically, police discover that an alien craft has landed, and they uh, they track uh, the footsteps to a diner where a bus has actually just arrived. And uh, the people on the bus realize that there is one more person in the diner than there should be. So oh. uh, everyone's trying to figure out who the alien is. Anyway, so it's it's a bit of a weird episode. It's kind of fun, but 
Um, the one I wanted to mention, though, is for introducing to maybe parents, though, uh, is an episode called uh, Walking Distance, which was from season one. Uh, it's episode five. And uh, it's one that I actually didn't really uh, probably wouldn't have appreciated as much uh, as, a, as a child. But as an adult, seeing it now, it's, uh, it's a very powerful message. Um, basically, it's about a, an ad exec who uh, finds that he needs to, to get his car fixed. And he pulls into a gas station very close to where he grew up. And uh, because it's going to take so long, he decides to uh, walk to town. And, uh, and uh, he discovers he's actually walked into his own past. And it's anyway, it's just, it's just a very uh, poignant story about adulthood. And uh, so, yeah, I think for people who are just sort of curious, like what type of stories and how meaningful the stories can be, uh, I think that's a very good example for parent aged uh, perspective mm-hmm. new fans of Twilight Zone. So that's that's mm-hmm. my choice. Hawk, do you have any? I'm trying to think of I'm just looking up the name of this one because it was always one that kind of resonated with me. And I think it was from season three. I believe it's the one called The Hunt. Okay. Uh, it was about a man out. Uh, he was hunting with his dog. Yeah, it is and, not. Yeah, yeah, the hunt. Okay, yeah, and uh, the dog uh, and him end up getting washed away in the river, mm-hmm. and that they wash up on a bank later on, and that, and uh, begin walking on their way home, and that, and uh, are enca- they encounter a man standing by a gate, and that, uh, who informs them that they both perished in the river, mm-hmm. and that he's uh, Saint Peter, and that uh, he is the you know you know the gatekeeper mm-hmm. of the doorway to heaven. And invites a man into earthly paradise and that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when the dog tries to go in, he, he's told that dogs aren't allowed to go in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, given the choice and that, he'd rather stay with his dog. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's a good story. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's a very good story. It's, it's it, you know, it's simple. Um, the themes of death and that, I don't know how they play, you know, with children and that of any particular age and that. But, you know, the message at the end the of that is actually, um, yeah. the ending is really heartwarming. Yeah, you, you know what they're hunting in that episode? Do you remember? No. What were they? They're hunting raccoons. <laughs> yeah. Why is it to hunt raccoons? <laughs> Why would you want to hunt a raccoon for a hat? I don't know. Hey, those wily trash cans. Oh, you, you'd be surprised with a lot of a lot of like uh, hill folk and that's uh, used for food. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I think that pretty much wraps it up for another another episode here. Does anyone have any final thoughts they want to add in before we say our fond adieus? Um, yeah, be a good friend. Don't spoil the Avengers movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That is, yeah, that is very true. Yeah, I think I think we can all safely say at this point in time that I think the next time you'll hear from us, we will be discussing at great length uh, the great length that is Endgame. Uh, so from that, I'd like to thank uh, Mr. Eric, Mr. Steve, and Mr. Hawk for joining me on this lovely little jaunt into the twilight zone well thank you Um, thank you for having us and oh my my pleasure uh and until next time friends we will talk to you soon Bye. bye 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 well that's it for us this week on geeks with kids if you want to get a hold of us you can send us an email at podcast at geekswithkids.ca and don't forget to like us on facebook at facebook.com slash geekswithkids follow us on twitter at geekswithkidscn check out our pics on instagram at geekswithkids And you can find all of this good stuff on our website at www.geekswithkids.ca. So if you like what you hear, why don't you hit that subscribe button and leave us a comment. This podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube, and your favorite podcasting app. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.